0: 90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science.
1: Hey, Shannon, how are you?
0: Uh, Pretty good, John. How's it going there?
1: Not too bad. And I know you're getting ready to go on a vacation, so we're recording this a little bit early, right?
0: <gasps> That's right. And we're going to be recording it about my vacation, so maybe it'll maybe get me inspired to pack. I doubt it, but maybe.
1: (laughs) Maybe you don't have that much time left.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. So true. Um, Yeah, so I'm going to get ready to go on vacation. And as my husband said to me earlier today, my Rolling Stone gathers no moss because my friend and I are taking our kids to Washington and Oregon and Northern California on a three-week camping trip.
1: (laughs) And this is a road trip, right?
0: (laughs) Yes. And we live in Oklahoma. So, uh yeah. Um it's not the first time we've done it. It is the first time we've done it since my friend has had her second kid, so we'll have three children under the age of 6 in the car for mm, 6500 miles, I think.
1: All right.
0: <laughs> I I don't think anyone sees this as vacation except for except for us. So <laughs> So
1: from where you're going, I'm guessing that you're going to be hitting parks again?
0: Uh, yeah, it's basically all I live to do. Um, I have this national park passport, and my friend and I are in a race to get it filled out before the other one. So, uh, except for we're always together, so it doesn't matter. I was really going on vacation together, seems like <laughs> 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 it yes, might make yeah. that difficult. It's absolutely true. Um, but neither of us um, has seen the Pacific Northwest, and so that's where we chose to set our sights on this year and we're going to spend a lot of time in volcano country so i thought it would be a good geologic topic to explore
1: yes and i've never been out there either i've always wanted to go and never have had the chance i'm really curious to hear what you see when you're back and also a little bit about what you're expecting to see now
0: uh, exactly. I plan on, well, whenever I can, I will be tweeting because I think I'm going to be so excited about this. Um, as we've talked about before on the show, I went to Vancouver, um, for the GSA meeting last year, but you know, when you go to a different city for a meeting, you don't really spend a lot of time doing anything but hanging out in the convention center. <laughs> um, and, <Right>. yeah, <laughs> I've never been to, um, there's only like five states in the union I haven't been to maybe six, and two of them are Washington and Oregon, so that's where we started out when we sat down six months ago to plan this, and we said, we're going to go to Mount Rainier, so we have reservations, and we have to be, we're leaving here, and in three days from there, we have to be at Mount Rainier, and I'm really excited.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that sounds great, and wow, so... (laughs) you got a lot of miles to put on in the next <laughs> three days or so. So what's your, what's your total itinerary? What all volcanics are you going to see?
0: So we're going to see a lot of volcanics when we go up there, obviously. Um, the tour starts in Mount Rainier, and then we're going to go south from there. Um, going up there, I'm assuming we're going to go across. We're not going to Yellowstone. That was our last big uh, road trip, but. We're going to go across the Snake River volcanics that all came from the hot spot that is Yellowstone, which we'll be talking right. about a little bit later in the show, um, on our way to get to Mount Rainier. And there's just so much cool geology that I'm excited about. Um, we're going to be traveling through the Scablands of Washington, which are these big mega ripples. And as I've talked about before on the show, I really love large-scale sedimentation processes so we're going to see a lot of those which i'm sure my friend won't care one thing about but
1: (laughs) i'm sure you'll get lots of material for your lectures though
0: that's what i'm hoping to do um and also in the native science class i teach i know we talk a lot about this um but there are obviously a lot of indigenous tribes from the pacific northwest and i use a lot of their stories because their stories are super colorful And obviously, with the amount of earthquakes and volcanoes that take place in the Pacific Northwest, they have a lot of geologic hazard-related stories um, to go along with a bunch of these landscapes.
1: Right. I mean, there's been some pretty devastating events up there in the past, just several hundred years even.
0: Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, Exactly. Obviously, Mount St. Helens is the one that comes to mind when you think of Pacific Northwest volcanoes, um, which we will be seeing on our way south. Um, we'll also be seeing Crater Lake, and we're going to spend some time at Lassen Volcanic National Monument. Um, we probably won't get to Mount Hood, but we're going to be very close to it. So basically all of these big volcanoes in the Pacific Northwest Cascades we're going to be hitting. Um, Lassen Volcanic National Park is a smaller national park, but obviously it's very, very well attended in Northern California. And so it's a bunch of really new uh, volcanism up there. So it's going to be some really cool landscapes that we're going through. Um, And then in Idaho as well, there's Craters of the Moon National Park, which is just what it sounds like right so the snake river volcanism that's associated with the Yellowstone hotspot is fairly young and it makes these landscapes just look otherworldly they're so new
1: wow yeah I I never really have a chance to see a lot of volcanic territory just a little bit in Hawaii but I know that in Lassen there's supposed to be a lot of the actively you know boiling mud pots and that kind of thing as well right
0: Exactly. Um, our last big road trip we took, we went to Yellowstone and we were in Yellowstone this summer, just a couple of weeks ago with our field camp. Um, and then Lassen is one of these other places that you see sort of these related volcanic things that aren't necessarily, you know, lava flowing out, but these, these geysers, and basically this plumbing that's affected by magma that's fairly close to the surface, which is sort of terrifying to think about when you're in these locations. <laughs>
1: Right, but they are great energy resources, right?
0: Oh, exactly, yeah. There's all kinds of geothermal stuff that goes along... goes along with that um what's cool about sort of our entire trip is that as we go into colorado and further up north we're going to stop by capulin volcano in northwestern new mexico and i feel like it's just sort of going to be a tour of all these different styles of volcanism so i want to apologize i am a sedimentologist (laughs) so if i say anything wrong that which will probably happen about volcanoes please let me know (laughs) but in general um you know we're traveling through the north uh, east part of New Mexico, and there's Capulin Volcano, which is fairly young. It's, I think, it last erupted. I read sixty five thousand years ago, and it's just a yeah. tiny little cinder cone.
1: Yeah, no, I think you're right. It was in the sixty thousand years ago range, and I've actually been to this one, and it was a really neat place to go. I was there with somebody that was a volcanologist. So I learned a lot. But this was several years ago now. Uh, We should definitely do the drive up the side. It's really, really great.
0: Uh, Yeah, it is. It's this cute little – I mean, I say it's a cute little cinder cone because it is. It's just a small cinder cone, and it looks just like a volcano, exactly like you would think. And I remember going there when I was younger with my dad when we'd be traveling to Colorado and looking down into the caldera and being like, wow, that's a volcano. It's full of trees and stuff. (laughs) But –
1: you say it's a little volcano, but really the crater is about a mile all the way around up top.
0: Right. That's right. Um, which, you know, it's no Kilauea or anything, but... Right. <laughs> or Or Rainier, so I imagine. Uh, <laughs> that's true. So this guy is a pretty young little guy. And then as we travel up north, we're going to get into these more subduction zone-related volcanoes, which are pretty terrifying in terms of geologic hazards.
1: Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Subduction zones themselves always pose, you know, I always think of earthquakes since that's what I do, right. uh, pose massive hazards, earthquakes, tsunamis, and then, of course, the arc volcanism as well.
0: Uh, right, and um I've heard that as we're traveling along the Pacific Coast Highway through Oregon that I will see, if anyone can see, these tsunami deposits, and they're just right there, and you see these big gravels, and you're like, how did those get halfway up that mountain? And then you realize, oh, these are tsunamis that basically travel back and forth because across the Pacific Ocean is, of course, Japan, right? So there's more sort of hotspot and subduction zone-related uh, tectonics that take place across the ocean. And I feel like Japan and, and the Pacific Northwest just trade tsunamis back and forth over geologic recent geologic time.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's the, the large Cascadia earthquake that was January of 1700 that was, I mean, absolutely massive. It's estimated somewhere between an 8.7 and a 9.2.
0: And a 9.2, and, exactly. That's huge. <laughs>
1: yeah, and it created a massive tsunami that did a lot of... Uh, Well, so it did strike Japan, and they also say that it's probably linked to the Bonneville slide as well.
0: Exactly. So this big, you know, you can look at the Discovery Channel show about it because it's all hyped up, the Cascadia mega quake. Um, But we talk about it in my, (laughs) yes, (laughs) in my classes because, you know, you have these lists of biggest earthquakes that we've had. And how do you know there was one in 1700? It's not like we had you know, seismometers set up, but this is where native knowledge really, really can help you figure out, you know, geologic processes, because obviously in Japan, written history has gone on a lot longer than it has in the US. And in Japan, there was talk about this orphan tsunami, the tsunami that came up, and um, it was in the 1700s there. And, you know, it was recorded, and that was that. But where did it come from? And so there's a lot of geologists who have done work in the Pacific Northwest to try to sort of figure that out. And um, one of the unique things up there is that there was a whole forest there that was dead. And it was this dead forest, and they couldn't figure out you know, why it would have died. And so limnologists or tree ring people had gone in, and they dated when these trees had died, and it was about 1700. And they figured out... Looking at that, looking at these Japanese um, texts that talk about this orphan tsunami, and then looking at the geology of the area, that in fact, there had been sort of a mega quake, and these trees had died because of saltwater incursion, as the crust got sort of sunk down, and as it pinged back up, you know, this, this forest is now above ground, and the force of that huge earthquake is what set off this tsunami.
1: Right. And you're talking about the Discovery Special, which is pretty good, though a little bit sensationalized. I've also heard good things about the book. It's called Full Rip 9.0, The Next Big Earthquake in the Pacific Northwest.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I've heard good reviews about it, just that The title was quite possibly the worst, most sensationalized (laughs) title that they could
0: have used. It's like, these are one of these things, like, this one I almost am okay with the sensationalism of it because it's so terrifying. Like, these are the subduction zone earthquakes and the associated volcanism. I mean, those are, they're just huge geologic hazards. I mean, it's not all volcanoes are obviously bad, but these seem to be particularly, you know, unpredictable and you know they're geologists that lost their lives in mount saint helens erupting um and these are huge huge eruptions because of the chemistry of this magma um it's kind of scary stuff so the sensationalism of this you know it's almost warranted but what's really neat is these you know these earthquakes and these um volcanic eruptions have gone on there for hundreds of thousands of years since people have been there and there's some really neat native stories describing what causes these different things and one of the ones that i really like and i tell in class is about the whale and the thunderbird and so if you think about the pacific northwest and you think about their artwork it's sort of a very specific style and the thunderbird is one of the highest deities to many of the tribes there it's the thing that sits atop most totem poles right And the Thunderbird is sort of a protector of the people. And so there would be whales who would be bothering the people, and the Thunderbird would be invoked to go fight the whale. And so within this fight, Thunderbird would fly out to the sea, pick up the whale. And so what happens when they're fighting? Thunderbird drops the whale, and what do you get? You get both earthquakes and tsunamis as the water is displaced from the whale being dropped from great heights by Thunderbird.
1: Huh. that's a fascinating story I'd never heard that one before
0: oh yeah and it's really there's all kinds of different stories that go along with that and there are obviously lots um, that have to do with those two deities and volcanism as well but I really thought that was neat because obviously if you're dropping a whale you're going to get earthquakes and tsunamis and so it's kind of a neat way to describe that sort of action
1: well when you said dropping a whale I got a little bit sidetracked there on the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy
0: (laughs) I said a whale (laughs) not a tulip (laughs) and a whale (laughs) right ground
1: anyway (laughs) (laughs) yes link in the show notes if you're unfamiliar with that
0: (laughs) no you should just read it really so uh yeah (laughs) um that's what i always think of too and i always get really excited when one of my students brings that up but that that is few and far between (laughs) (laughs)
1: yes well so where else are you going to go on your giant loop back towards oklahoma
0: (laughs) right so um we're going to hit all that pacific northwest awesome volcanism and uh we're going to also hit the redwoods that are in northern california obviously um and then on our way from there we'll go to lassen volcanics and that is super exciting um it's just sort of one of those that you don't really think too much about. You know, you hear these big, you know, go to Redwoods, or go to Death Valley, but then the Lassen National Forest and the volcanic fields there should be super exciting. And then on our way, we are going back through Lake Tahoe. And then the place that I think my friend and I are both the most excited about is Great Basin National Park.
1: Wow. That's <laughs> that's almost at the top of my list of parks to go to, I think.
0: Um, so but I've everything... definitely never been there. No, and it's it's one of the lesser-known parks. It's in eastern Nevada. It's right on, it's just um, east of Ely, and it's really close to the Utah border. And if you look up Great Basin National Park in Google and you use your images key, you'll think that it's not right because it's not the landscape you would think of as being in Nevada. <laughs> and I've done a lot of work out in Nevada in the desert. And so I was like, okay, well, we'll see what this looks like. It's beautiful. There are glaciers there, uh, which I didn't know existed in Nevada. There are bristlecone pines, which are the trees that are like, some of them are more than 4,000 years old. Um, The layman caves have some of the most spectacular cave features that you want to see. So stalactites and all kinds of weird carbonate cave formations as well. So it's It's like the whole package, and it's one of the least visited national parks in the system.
1: Yes, and if you look up the nighttime photos, it's so dark that people can get some amazing astrophotos out there.
0: Mm -hmm. It's one of the darkest places in the country, they say, and I can't wait to be there. Um, Some of these parks, if you try to get into Yosemite or Yellowstone, you have to start planning your trip a year in advance. So the reservation services work you know you can reserve something 364 days out and you have to do that at great basin it's just first come first serve i think it costs us six dollars a night to camp there (laughs) as opposed to you know 40 in yellowstone so it's the thing i'm most looking forward to
1: so how long do you get to spend there
0: we're, we're going to spend three days and two nights in Great Basin. Um, so obviously we're on the road a lot because we want to maximize just what we get to see. Um, we're clearly gluttons for punishment. We love we love road trips, but we decided we've heard so much good things about this place that we're going to stay three days there.
1: Yeah, I wish I could do this loop. I don't know if you remember, but probably four or five years ago now, uh, you did one of these vacations with the same folks I believe uh-huh. in the desert and I did the same thing as well but we did our loops in the opposite direction yes. and <laughs> met up for breakfast at a campsite one morning.
0: <laughs> uh, yes we did. It was super awesome. Yeah, so it, it that's really funny. Yeah, you should you should take this loop the other way. It's going to be twice as long. <laughs>
1: Yes. And I get to start from Pennsylvania.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Um, And being in Utah, which is where, you know, we were basically doing our loop backwards, you know, it's really close to Great Basin, and that's, we had talked to a lot of people there about it, and that sort of first got us started on this idea, and then I talked to some of my other geology, you know, nerdy friends who love national parks, and a couple of people said this was Great Basin was their favorite national park, so watch out for the twitter bombs i'm going to throw up from there because i'm going to be so (laughs) excited that i'm there
1: yes i think you may actually be tweeting from the show account more than i have recently oh yeah which is a first
0: i know exactly (laughs) so get ready for that they're going to be great
1: pictures (laughs) (laughs) well and you picked the fun paper this week and it's related to your trip
0: Uh, Exactly. So I've got volcanoes on the brain, obviously. Um, (laughs) You know, my son is super excited that we're going to all these volcanoes. Um, And so I wanted to sort of talk something about it. And in just the most recent issue, the July issue of geology, um, I picked this paper and it says it's titled Months Between Rejuvenation and Volcanic Eruption at Yellowstone Caldera, Wyoming. And it's Till et al., um, which is a group out of Arizona State, uh, also the USGS and um, UCLA, and they're talking about. It's a really sort of dense geologic paper. So if you're a mineralogist or a volcanologist, you'll love this. But it also has sort of a wider, a wider audience as well because it's talking about how can we tell when these big earth or when these big volcanoes are going to erupt again because Yellowstone is a hotspot. It's one of the few continental hotspots. And why is it so dangerous? Is that it's a continental hotspot, right? So as we melt the silica-rich continental crust, it creates big booms (laughs) versus little booms like in Hawaii. And that's why it's so dangerous. Um, But we don't really know a lot about the hotspot that's underneath Yellowstone. And geophysics obviously plays a huge part in trying to identify, you know, where the magma chamber is. And I know in the past couple of years, they've actually come out that the magma chamber is a lot closer to the surface than we had originally thought. Um, But we don't know, you know, when is it going to erupt again? It sort of was on a cycle, and it seems like it should erupt at any time based on that cycle. The last eruption was about 638,000 years ago. And uh, in the current caldera. So we don't know. And this looks at feldspar zonation and trying to understand how the magma chamber is getting sort of refueled based on these feldspars that we see.
1: Right. And this paper it took a little bit to kind of process, because as you said, it's pretty pretty dense and for a geophysicist especially this was a little confusing. <laughs> 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 yes. But they did this really nice work taking nanosims profiles across these grains And looking at the magnesium, strontium, and barium concentration along these little profiles, and when you look at them, you say, gee, that looks familiar, and it's because it's a diffusion problem. Right. So they solved the diffusion forward model multiple times until they found a best fit to this, and then we're getting a time scale of how this magma solidification and eruption happened based on that uh, diffusion length that these elements had gone into the grain, if if I got it right there.
0: Yes, yeah, that's that's basically it. And what's, I mean, not scary, but what's kind of neat is that, you know, these diffusion rates and stuff, they're, they're pretty short time scales, actually.
1: Yes, I mean, we're talking in our lifetime, for sure, timescales for these elements to diffuse into the grains. Uh, some of them as short as months.
0: Uh, exactly. And so... We do a lot of, just like we said earlier, you know, geophysical monitoring of these magma chambers. And so this sort of study doesn't necessarily say that we can use these things to predict an eruption, because likely if an eruption is imminent, our seismic monitoring is going to figure that out. But it sort of supports when an eruption is going to happen. So, you know, if you have a lot of seismic movement... They can sort of look at these, you know, diffusion profiles across these sanidine grains, and sort of come to a sort of overall understanding using the mineralogy and the geophysical monitoring when Yellowstone is likely to erupt again.
1: Right, and they actually have towards the end of the paper, uh, surprisingly, the rough volume of the reservoir that you're talking <laughs> about at Yellowstone, <laughs> and it's ten thousand cubic kilometers. That's
0: unbelievable unbelievable yeah and that's why yellowstone deserves our full attention i feel like in terms of geologic hazards
1: yeah and it's kind of fun to look i don't know if you keep up with the you know just daily or monthly patterns of earthquakes there's always a nice little set of earthquakes popping off around there generally relatively Uh, small though
0: there sure is um in the last year there were a couple of larger ones around five i think though so you know you're like, okay, there's a 5.0 earthquake there, and then you think, that's because of magma shifting very close to the Earth's surface. It's uh, the part of geology that I like to point out to students, that, you know, geology's happening all the time, and it's it's real stuff. It's not, you know, these long timescales. Magma shifts, there's a 5.0 earthquake in Yellowstone. It can change the plumbing of the geysers, change how they erupt. That's pretty crazy.
1: Right, and that's i mean the usgs motto is science for a changing world
0: Uh, exactly on small timescales smaller timescales than we think
1: yes (laughs) well if you want to send us a fun paper to discuss or photos from your pacific loop if you (laughs) (laughs) go on a similar trip definitely do that or if you just have any comments about the show, we'd love to hear from you. Shannon, how can they get a hold of us?
0: Well, we'll be pretty active on Twitter in the following month as we both travel around the country. And so you can always find us at Don't Panic Geo. John is at geo underscore Lehman. I'm at Shannon Doolin. And you can always email us any comments, suggestions, complaints, or otherwise. Show at don'tpanicgeocast.com.
1: And if you have any questions, Uh, corrections for our volcanology or if you would like to educate (laughs) us on volcanology we would definitely (laughs) definitely appreciate that and until next time remember don't panic it's not an exact science any opinions findings conclusions or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies